Hello, everybody, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Slasher Saturday podcast. My name is Derek. My name is Eleanor. And we are horror movie fans and newly married and love to talk about the things we love and want to share that love with you. And on Slasher Saturday, we hit stop and rewind on the VCR so we can look back at some of the most classic horror movies of the subgenres throughout the generations, evaluate their impact on the horror movie landscape at the time, and how well it holds up today. For everyone on YouTube, we also have an audio-only version on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, and a couple of other podcasting resources. In case you want to be able to lock your phone or whatever. Right, exactly. Look at something other than just a picture. <laughs> With Halloween ends coming this October, we haven't done Halloween yet on the show, and uh, so we are going to be doing halloween every other week and if you guys would like to see that then jump on youtube or wherever else and every other week we'll be going through the jamie lee curtis halloween movies first and of course leading up to halloween ends and then every other week we'll be doing some sort of other horror movie whether it's slasher paranormal whatever it may be and if you guys have a recommendation that we should watch that maybe we haven't seen before please let us know and we'll gladly check it out now obviously neither one of us were around for the 1970s earlys lates whatever so we jotted down some of the bigger movies or some of the even the smaller movies just the ones that kind of stood out to us really and uh wanted to kind of give a rundown of the time that this movie came out because this was a very different time in the world in america and slashers the slasher genre itself wasn't really a huge thing i mean obviously this movie was inspired by alfred hitchcock's uh psycho at least to certain degrees and uh that Fun movie fact had jamie lee curtis's mom in that movie too right right and uh and of course that movie spawned multiple clones and ripoffs and spinoffs or whatever and that led us to eventually halloween in 1978 and eleanor would you tell us some of the kind of more interesting or at least the ones that we kind of thought was interesting Right. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of a landscape for the 70s here. So other slasher movies that came out in the 70s were The Town That Dreaded Sundown in 1976, Phantasm in 1979, When a Stranger Called in 1979, Water Hotel in 1971, and it's not a slasher, but it was a pretty big movie, was Jaws in 1975. The OG blockbuster. Exactly. And then in 1978 alone, to kind of give everyone what we're looking at, what America was looking like in 1978, five other genre movies that came out were Superman, The First Man to Fly, Cheech and Chong, Up in Smoke, <laughs> Cab from Outer Space, Every Which Way But Loose, and Grease. Also, the minimum wage in America at the time was $2.65 an hour. Gas was 62 cents a gallon. I think we all would love to go back to that. And the number one billboard hit was Night Fever by the Bee Gees. 
And what does this have to do with the movie? Really nothing. But we wanted to kind of paint a picture of... Your average American in the 1970s. What they were experiencing alongside your, Halloween. Yeah, and your average American town like Haddonfield and kind of where this movie takes place. Of course, we all know that it's John Carpenter directing this epic, iconic film. Uh, we know the iconic soundtrack cannot be understated just the bone chilling piano and the way it builds and the instantly in the title card it's like okay i'm already into this movie and i have no idea what it's about uh just the opening title card right and even as the credits go on it's really cool because they put a jack-o-lantern in there and in their later movies they continued with the jack-o-lantern theme which was something that was really cool that they did and of course, your biggest people in this movie is Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis and Jamie Lee Curtis making her film debut as Laurie Strode and just her film debut in general. This movie had a abysmal budget of 325000 but went on to make a quite respectable $70 million at the worldwide box office. And it, that's in 1978's dollars, so that could right. be a lot so more So for now. inflation, you could definitely adjust it for quite a lot la larger number. But uh, it cannot go understated that this film really was the start of where all of these beloved franchises grew inspiration from. I mean, Friday the 13th Part 1, a large, well, the whole, all the kills is from behind the camera, like the opening scene in Halloween and Black Christmas. And I think that obviously that's drawn from that, but as well as other movies that came down the pipeline later, like Scream. Right. A lot of these films were inspired by Michael Myers and the kind of essence of the shape, if you will. And if you don't know the story about the William Shatner mask, we just got to get out of the way right now. Because the look of Michael, even as simple as it was, I mean, it took, what, $10 to just throw it together. You just took the William Shatner mask out of a, a Halloween store or something like that. Right. It popped the eyes out, painted it, took off the eyebrows, adjusted the hair, and boom the most iconic killer mask in film history, or at least slasher history. To put in perspective, usually in the studio here, we got a mask of whichever movie we're talking about. And when we brought out Friday the 13th, when we brought out Freddy, our dogs did not care. But they would not settle down for us to do this one. They do not like Michael's mask. They are uncomfortable by Michael Myers. He is that unsettling. <laughs> this story overall is quite basic, I would say. It's not the right. deepest, most complex story, you know. It's a guy in a white mask who stalks a babysitter, you know. It, it created all of those cliches of horror movies to, that came along later afterward. And basically everything Randy Meeks taught us came from this movie. Right, exactly. Much. He was even using this movie as an example. And what what was the line that we both looked at each other and were like, Oh, Randy, this guy's <laughs> this guy's dead. Oh, it was when uh Later in the movie, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen this 1978 film, <laughs> Bob goes, I'll be right back. That's right. Poor old Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, Bobby. <laughs> the movie starts out in 1963 after the epic title card and the amazing music. And we see what looks like from behind the camera the entire time, right? The entire opening scene with yeah. Michael as a kid. You see the kid the the kid and the older sister 
I can't remember, Judith, Judith uh, yeah. go upstairs and do the hanky-panky. Well, not the kid, but uh, Judith no, 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 and her the, boyfriend. The boyfriend, yeah. He, he's a kid. He's a kid. <laughs> he's just not Michael as a kid. Right. Right. I but should Michael be more is seeing this right. as a child. Watch his watch his sister and her boyfriend go upstairs after fondling each other on the couch, which must have just been uncomfortable. <laughs> right. And obviously the boyfriend left, and that's when we get what inspired Friday the 13th was the, the opening, you know, going up the stairs real slowly, the victim seeing the person that, you know, obviously she said, Michael, what are you doing? And then we see the stabs, which is very reminiscent of Psycho. And I liked the uh, fact yes. that it was the opening to this movie, paying homage to it right from the get-go. Definitely, yeah. It was very good homage to especially to like that shower scene that was so iconic from right Psycho. that's what i mean yeah and then the parents get home they find michael and then that's when he's finally unmasked and uh we jump what is it a decade later yeah about 15 years or 15 later. years later that's right and that's when dr loomis and the psychiatrist are on their way to the asylum to basically transfer michael to a new prison right they're right. a new mental hospital. Right. They're like, we're done with you. We haven't gotten any progress. We're going to transfer you. And on the way there, they notice that there's been some trouble. They see some patients off in the field kind of roaming, not really knowing what's going on. And Loomis goes out to investigate and open the gate. And that's when Michael sticks his arm through the window, which was open, but grabs the girl, the nurse, and she screams and is able to escape the car. And Michael hops in and drives away fast and furiously. Pretty much like you would be expecting Hobbs and Shaw in this. <laughs> how fast he was going. He's like, goodbye. Which, you know, my first thought was like, how does he know how to drive? He's been in a mental hospital since he was a kid. But I do like that Dr. Loomis then later kind of was like, oh, he drove away just fine last night. Maybe he got some lessons here. You know, I like yeah. that little reference to kind of, at least, you know... They kind of poke it's fun at the fact that it's like... A little bit of a plot, a plot hole, hole, but yeah. they kind of filled it a little bit with dirt, at least just mentioning it. Right, like, it's loose dirt. If you step in it, you're definitely falling through, but <laughs> at least there's dirt there. Right. The next day, Halloween in Haddonfield, and we meet Lori and a very young Jamie Lee Curtis uh, making her way to school. And that's when she met up with the little boy, Tommy Doyle, who becomes prominent in the later films. A boy who Lori plans to babysit Halloween night. And on the way, Lori runs an errand for her dad because he's a realtor or Yeah, he's property a real manager. estate agent in the area, and he wants her to drop off a key at the old Myers home. So right. she runs it by there and drops the key under the mat. And then as she's walking away, you can see Michael kind of peek out of the screen door at her and watch her. She's walking away. Right. And then that's when he begins to follow her. Right. Because not only is she kind of dropping stuff off at his house, he's like, who is this girl? Why is she at my house? Why does she have a key to my house? Right. And that is when uh, he follows her all the way to school. Right. And Lori is in school, and she's uh, in the middle of class, and you get the first iconic scene of many in this movie, where she looks out the window, and right outside a car, 
is this creepy shape of a human who is in a tall, long, uh, what is it called? It's the like a co- mechanics uniform. Mechanics almost uniform, like a jumpsuit. Like jumpsuit, overall, not overalls, but uh, I'm slipping. It's like on the a one piece jumper kind yeah. of, and it's blue. You use it for like welding and stuff, but uh, or mechanics. Anyways, and then the iconic mask, which the mask in the Halloween movies is always what make or breaks the overall look right. of Michael. If the mask looks off, Michael looks off. Isn't it crazy that in the later movies they can't just replicate something so simple? I mean, I know there's great, yeah. there's good reasons for it, but still, it just amazes me that the best look, or at least my favorite look for Michael, is in this movie. And I think a lot of people would agree with you. I agree, definitely. Well, thank you. <laughs> and she, uh, she looks <laughs> no back problem. at the teacher. You know that she's dozing off, looking at Michael, and then when she looks back, boom. He's gone, and so is the car. But she'll keep an eye out if she sees that car again. And after school, Lori is walking home with her two friends, Annie and Linda. And they chat about their plans tonight for kind of a get-together with some guys. And uh, Linda and Annie are walking home. And as they're talking about their plans for the night, Lori sees the car that she saw outside of the school. And she sees the creepy Michael kind of lean forward like, hey, baby, is that you? And he's kind of driving away. And they, they yell at him something. I can't remember exactly. But then he slams on their brakes saying, excuse me. Do you want right. me to get out right now? And like, that I will kinda... get, don't make me turn this car around. Right. But that kind of freaks them out. And they're just like, okay, whatever. And just a few seconds later, Lori sees Michael behind a bush. And she's like, guys, it's that guy again. And when they go to the bush, he's gone like the boogeyman. For a man that's so large and in charge, he is quite fast. I will say that. <laughs> and as they're walking home, Lori, Linda, and Annie reach their own homes as their evening begins to fall. Later that night, Annie and Lori drive together to their babysitting job. And Dr. Loomis arrives in Haddonfield and, of course, discovers that Michael has stolen his sister's grave. Just like he knew, Michael would come to Haddonfield, he would return home, and he took his sister's grave. Which it j- goes to show you... Uh, those things are a little heavy. Right, exactly. Those tombstones can be really heavy. They can be hundreds of pounds, and he just picked it up and yeeted it. Of course, Sheriff Brackett is on the case, and he's trying to help out Loomis as much as he can, but he's very skeptical of everything that Loomis is saying, referring to Michael as an it or the shape. But nonetheless, Sheriff Brackett does decide to help search the town for Michael. Annie and Lori arrive at their neighborhood. Lori is babysitting Tommy, and Annie is babysitting a girl named Lindsay Wallace across the street. Michael, ha- Michael, of course, has followed the girls home and proceeds to stalk Annie first, watching her through the windows. And this movie does a great job of setting up all of these different people's houses that it sometimes confuses me on which house is each person's just because they kind of go all over into each other's but you do know the layout of each house whether it's the uh, closets or the back china doors or the stairs even right it doesn't feel like a soap opera set where you're like okay they clearly put up one box and then they walked their door into another box it feels like an actual house that they're walking around well and they take the time to establish the layout of each of the homes right for 
for you to be able to kind of follow the victim as they are able to navigate their way through the house trying to escape and trying to survive you know like oh go out the door go out the door and you're familiar with that door and it also kind of pays off in the end shot of the movie i would say overall at this point in the movie um it's kind of a slow burn because you've only seen a couple of people die but um Again, you know, you you watch these slasher movies to see kind of how gory it gets and how brutal it can get. But it really does a good job of setting up suspense, and especially the usage of the soundtrack is important in this. It really does set up the creepiness factor. And as the night gets darker, Loomis and Brackett search around Michael's desolated home, and Annie gets locked in the laundry room when trying to wash a shirt she spilled butter on. And with Michael watching her through the window, of course, like a creeper. And uh, <laughs> everywhere you go, he's following her. And you know eventually she's she's going to be... She's toast yeah. at some point, yeah. yeah. Annie gets a call from her boyfriend, Paul, voiced by John Carpenter himself, might I add, which I thought was pretty cool that he gets to make a cameo in the in OG. His own movie? Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And, he, and she decides to go pick Paul up. Annie and then Annie then takes Lindsay over to Tommy's house with Lori and returns to the Wallace house. When she gets in the car to leave, Michael ambushes Annie from the back seat and strangles her before slitting her throat with a chef knife. I honestly did not expect him to be in the car. I mean, once we fi once we finally got to a certain shot, I was like, oh no, he's behind her. But when she was getting into the car, I didn't actually expect that one. So that one, you know, it's not the most goriest or more most interesting or creative kills, but it, it did surprise me. One say. reason why I always check my back seat before I ever lock my doors or start driving. Because Michael might be there. Yeah, exactly. Not just Michael, but other creepers. <laughs> and then we see Tommy looking out the window just at the right time. Probably just looking out the window to see, like, trick-or-treaters and any costumes and whatnot. But sees a, uh, a shape carrying Annie into the Wallace residence. He tries to tell Lori, but she dismisses it and sends Tommy and Lindsay to bed, saying, Oh, you've been up too late, too many scary movies, and all that. Soon after, Linda and her boyfriend Bob arrive at the dark and empty Wallace house, planning on surprising and scaring Annie. But when they get in, it's of course it's dark. And so they're like, oh, no one's home and we must have the house to ourselves. And uh, of course, they go upstairs to do the uh, turn you inside out stuff. Right, and the horizontal dance, if you will. Of course, then that's when we screamed at our TV, I'll be right back. And soon after... We get probably my favorite kill in the movie, and it's oh, a good definitely. jump scare where Bob's coming up and Michael, boom, out of the door, immediately got him by the throat, slams him up against the wall, lifts him up, and pins him with the knife. I'm still not sure scientifically how it works, but I just mean, I just think, it, okay, Michael's just that strong, and that's why it works. Right, and exactly. It was probably the most violent out of the kills in this movie, I'd say. Oh, yeah, because he's than pinned some... up like a dartboard. Right, other than some eye pokes. Um, those were pretty good, too. But overall, I think this is probably my favorite kill of the movie. Oh, yeah, it's so brutal. And then what happens afterward when uh, 
we return up the stairs and Linda's laying in bed and sees a sheet with Bob's glasses on the sheet and she immediately assumes it's Bob and flashes the shape there trying to entice them and of course there's no response Michael never says anything to anyone and then uh, she gets up to call Lori across the street and talk to Lori and Michael takes the phone cord and wraps it around her neck and chokes her to death. And Lori only realizes she's in trouble kind of toward the end of the phone call. Right. And that is what makes her want to go investigate Linda's house. And as this movie has been like a slow burn, like you said, it's a very simple kind of plot. It's a guy stalking a babysitter. But now the stalker is about to nab our main sitter. And so this is when the tension really starts to pick up in the movie. And although it's been tense the entire movie, don't get me wrong, I, me saying it's slow does not mean I have not been enjoying it. But I would say that right. overall versus like a Friday movie or a nightmare movie, we've probably seen some stomachs be opened quite early or some tongues or whatever, you know? Right, exactly. The gore isn't something that is one of the main aspects to this movie, which is, I appreciate, you know, it makes it a little bit different. It finds its elements in a different way. It's, it's more suspenseful, I yeah, would it's say. Yeah, sus it's suspenseful. It's still a slasher, and it's still gory, and it's still violent, um, but it's almost, like, smart about it. It doesn't have to rely on shock, necessarily, right. for its kills. Right, because we do have just such good storytelling and an underlying kind of mythos around Michael Myers that is really interesting. And that's something that slasher movies have suffered from later in the decades where, you know, Hollywood and regulations have given studios and horror movies more restrictions and guidelines that they have to follow. So sometimes like in a, you know, a Friday the 13th movie, the gore sometimes can really fluctuate. And sometimes in those movies, the kills can kind of feel lame in a couple of them. And in a movie like this, this is kind of a great example of how some of the kills, not all of them are great, but some of them are shining examples, I'd say. It definitely is a prime example of keep it simple, stupid. And it works for sure. really well. For sure. Not that the other way can't, because obviously it can. Right. Obviously, over the top can work. But this movie works really well with what it does. Yeah. It definitely feels like he's still human, uh, just with maybe some supernatural element to it. But we wouldn't know or understand it. Right. Exactly. There's no qualifying Thank it. God we have the Thorn trilogy to kind of you know, make sense of it all or else I'd be lost. <laughs> that was sarcasm for anyone who didn't get it. <laughs> she enters through the patio doors and searches the house, finding it dark and empty. And we know it's about to begin. She goes into an upstairs bedroom where she finds her three friends mutilated corpses. First, Annie on the bed. And then Bob, of course, swoops down. And this is the scene where we get to watch while we're watching Scream. <laughs> you know, the first Scream movie where Ghostface is behind Randy and we see Lori on the TV. Randy's watching Lori. And he's all, and behind you, behind Jamie. You. And that's, <laughs> uh, so we saw Annie, we saw Bob, and then Linda, of course, is stuffed into a closet, kind of uh, Conjuring 2 style a little bit, but with some cross eyes going right. on. But uh, I will say that nice addition of Judith Meyer's headstone. Right. 
which was uh, basically it was a nice little touch of like, okay, here's an idea of what his motives are. Here's an right. just a, an idea. We don't know what it is, what it means, like, why he grabbed it. Maybe these girls remind him of his sister. Like, is it just a shrine out of love, a shrine out of hatred, or is it just a shrine? Right, exactly. Or is it something is it that, like, neutral is it a thing compulsion? Right, exactly. Uh, or is it some sort of supernatural connection? We don't know. But I love the mystery about it. Um, of course, that is when Michael, a.k.a. The Shape kind of manifests himself behind her in the doorway. And he literally just kind of emerges, his mask emerges from the darkness. And it's really scary and one of the most iconic scenes in a horror movie, probably the most iconic for this movie, I'd say. is Definitely just, one of them. You just see darkness behind her and then all of a sudden... A white the face. Yeah. He then kind of stabs Jamie Lee Curtis in the shoulder. Lori. Right, Lori. Sorry. <laughs> stabs her in the shoulder, and it sends her flying over the railing. And that just looked so painful, watching her hit that hardwood stairs. You know it knocked the wind out of her, and she kind of tumbled down. Oh, yeah. And she's got a gnarly little gash on her arm now. And that's when Michael stands above the stairway, and the chase is on. Yeah, and he does it in his creepy fashion where it's like, you can't run away from him even though he's walking. He's walking at a normal pace, and he's still outrunning you. And you see her go through the house that we're very familiar with at this point, and she gets into the other house just before Michael gets close enough to grab her. And she gets Tommy and Lindsay upstairs and cowers in the living room, and uh, that's where, you know, Michael comes in through the window, and... Uh, Misses a stab shot on Lori, and that's when she finally gets her shot. She finally gets to fight back instead of just running. And, all right, now it's now there's a little bit of competition. And we can see that Michael is able to feel pain. He's You're able to hurt him. Yeah, he least. was wounded. It definitely stunned him for a little bit. Well, yeah, and he collapsed, and she thought, okay, I stabbed him in the neck. Uh, he's He's gone. And she goes upstairs to, you know take care of the frightened children and of course the boogeyman rises again and suddenly appears and the kids hide in the bathroom while Lori runs and hides in the closet and we see yet another iconic slasher scene where Michael is shaking the the accord it's like an accordion door closet with slats and he's just shaking it and it's trembling and she's in there like sobbing and screaming and she's upset obviously but good thing is she's a quick thinker, and she saw some wire coat hangers above her, and she stabbed him with it. Yep, right in the eye. Which yeah, that... I hate eyeball stuff. <laughs> that stuff always freaks me out. And British films always use eyeball stuff. I'm like, why with the eyeballs? It's so painful. I feel the sympathy pain so hard. One thing I love about the Halloween 2018, the James Jude Courtney, is that they gave him the blind eye, which was you know, obviously a callback to the original, but in some of the other Halloween movies, they kind of just ignored that, that wound. Right. And I like that in the newer movies, his wounds stay with him, you know? He lost his two fingers in and 2018, he and he gone. still, he didn't grow them back for Halloween kills. Right. The only question is, is in Halloween ends, is his mask going to be all, you know, fancy-dancy, or is it still going to be partially burned? You know, is he going to heal? But anyways, he got stabbed in the eye. And they think, okay, now I finally got him. 
distracted and in pain. She's like, I'm going to take advantage of this. He drops his knife, prompting Lori to grab it, and plunges it into his chest with Michael presumably dead again. Lori sends the kids to get help, which attracts Dr. Loomis. You know, they're running, they're screaming, and he knows, okay, I have found evil, and it's inside this house. Right, and uh, this is when Michael kind of does like a, if you've ever seen WWE, does like an Undertaker move, where he just sits up and then stares at the camera, and Lori was like taking deep breaths. She was like, holy shit, what I just did. And then it's like, oh, it's on again. And she gets choked out by Michael during this point. And luckily, Dr. Loomis was already on his way. Otherwise, she would have been screwed. Well, she she would have been screwed. But I, would, I will say she was fast on her feet. She was fast thinking because the one weakness that Michael has is the, his love for his mask. And she pulled it off, giving us one of the only looks at that version of Michael. And, of course, it was played by a different actor. But... We got to see his injured eye already, and then uh, kind of a normal just-looking dude. Right, just kind of like your average-looking guy. And then as he's trying to get his mask back on, that's when Loomis shows up and starts shooting at him. Right, he says, Michael, and then he shoots him, I think, five or six times. And finally, Michael falls off the balcony. And you can, I believe you can hear sirens at that time. And uh, I will say that... Although we didn't see, you know, on YouTube and today's standards, you can pause and you can get a good look at, you know, the actor and whatnot. But if you're seeing it in a theater, it's just such a quick shot in the dark that you're like, oh, who is that creepy guy? And as soon as he puts the mask back on, he's back to just being the shape. Right. You know? And I think um, the gun that Loomis was using looked like a revolver, and I think he emptied the entire clip. So that would be about six shots, and I'm pretty sure he nailed him with at least five of those. Because then Michael, like, went tumbling backward, and this is when, like you brought up earlier, we remembered the layout of the house pretty well. Right, and, that and there Lori was a balcony. asks him, right, and Lori asks Dr. Loomis, you know, was that the boogeyman? And Dr. Loomis, I can't, I think he I think said, he said, I'm afraid so. Uh, or or, I, th or like I think that. it was, or I, I believe it was. And when he goes to check... Dun, 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 dun. he's gone of right. course of course michael has disappeared because he and, was laying flat on his back and you would think oh he's dead and then you look and you're like oh no he's gone <laughs> right it, they used with the layouts of all of these homes and the town itself they kind of used the layouts of these homes as a way of foreshadowing things to come like we've seen all of these places in the daylight multiple times and then the very ending shot of the movie it's it pans to all of these different openings where we've seen other characters, where we've seen Michael, and we just hear Michael's breathing. And uh, that is basically how this movie ends. Uh, what a way to end it, too, is that, okay, so we shot him six times, we, sh we stabbed him, we stabbed him in the eye, we stabbed him in the neck, he's gone, and he's still out there. And this right, is right, but they leave it so open ended and it's perfect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's a perfect way to lead into <laughs> multiple different Halloween timelines, which, of course, we'll get to here on this podcast. Eleanor, we kind of gathered around um, a couple of facts that I thought were interesting about this movie, facts that you thought were interesting. Would you, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Alrighty, so in the beginning we mentioned that the mask was a William Shatner mask, and I think that is, like, another really, like, 
interesting point because like you were saying, if you go into the later films, the mask, if it looks off, it just kind of feels off and it can kind of change the entire mood of the movie. So this original William Shatner mask, which ironically enough for the second movie when they tried to find it was under somebody's bed and stained with cigarette smoke. So it was the same iconic mask and it still looked iconic, but it, it was looked it looked different. Rougher. And yeah. it was a different actor wearing it as well. So it didn't fit right. the same. And that is another thing that changes these masks is it depends upon the facial shape underneath it. Because if you have somebody else wearing it and their face is larger or if their face is a different shape, it can make the shape himself <laughs> look different. <laughs> and another interesting fact is that Jamie Lee Curtis, because this was her first breakout role, this is her first movie really, Jamie Lee Curtis thought she'd be fired after her first day. Which like, was crazy. Yeah, she thought she was doing such a bad job that she was going to get fired. And that's after so her first sad. Day. Yeah. And also, for anyone who's a Star Wars fan, Christopher Lee, which is known as Count Dooku, or Lord of the Rings fan. Right, exactly. Yes. And he's done many other things, Dracula and yada yada. yada. All sorts of things. Yes. Man is very talented. Yes. He originally declined the role of Dr. Loomis because it had a lack of funds for him because they're small budget. And he has admitted that he still regrets that. And he regretted that for the rest of his life. Right. And you did mention like the uh, William Shatner mask. Uh, there was no call for what specific mask they were going for. He literally just went to a shop and picked that one out for whatever reason maybe the guy was a star trek fan or woman was a star trek fan uh this movie only took two weeks to write the script so it took two weeks to wow. write this script um jamie lee curtis debuted like you said um and this obviously launched her career and now is about 40 years into playing laurie strode which i think is amazing uh this movie, although was set in the Midwest, it of course wasn't shot there. And one little thing that you can kind of catch when watching it is that although it is technically in Halloween and there are painted leaves on the ground, all of the standing trees, if you're a big Halloween fan, you probably already know this, but for the ones that don't, the trees are all green. It's in the middle of spring, but you know, once you know it, it kind of changes something, but whatever really i, mean, I never knew I, that <laughs> they would pick up the, they would pick up the leaves and take them to the next street and they wanted to repaint the trees themselves but they just didn't have the budget for it i mean this movie with the budget that they had it was just like a couple of nickels they found in their couch cushion they went and <laughs> ran with it and won the olympics for all i pretty you know, much like it was amazing uh and as well as the costume designer having to obtain the mask but most of halloween's main cast members also provided their own wardrobe and uh one thing i caught that i'm sure a plenty of you guys caught but in scream when they're showing halloween on the screen it's kind of an homage to halloween that was also giving an homage to the thing which was also on the tv in halloween so i thought that was kind of cool like a cameo and a cameo and a cameo it was very meta we love Scream for that. <laughs> and the last thing I thought was worth mentioning, there's plenty of interesting facts about there. And if you guys have any other interesting facts, please let us know. But the last one that I'll mention is that the Myers house, the epic Myers house, which is one of the greatest slasher houses of all time, that they're still using it in 2022. You know, 
it was actually abandoned going into this movie. And they, before they started filming there, they kind of cleaned it up just so nobody was stepping on mice or whatever. But I thought that was really cool because it kind of gave that film or that that house, sorry, a little bit of extra history on top of it. And it made it feel a little extra spooky, too. Because, I mean, if the crew has to be in a spooky house and you can sense they feel uncomfortable, then the audience feels that discomfort, too. 100%. Yeah. It, it's shining through because it's real emotions, you know. Uh, this movie, I cannot say enough. I mean, it was a critical success, financial success, and it still holds up today for me anyways. I know some people say that it doesn't, but... To me, this movie is a great way to start into the slasher franchise or even the horror genre. Um, and I think that this movie particular, particularly is a great way to start a great Halloween watch of multiple different timelines. And I can watch this movie a hundred times. It's very simple. It's very basic. But that's what I love about it because it keeps it simple, stupid, like you said. But it also elevates the horror movie landscape then and now it stands the test of time and i think it always will john carpenter once said that horror has always been a part of film and because of that fact even though it's not the most popular genre it will always be here and i mean this is my favorite horror movie michael myers is probably my favorite horror movie villain um he is creepiest to me I just always, like, want to psychologically analyze him and get down to the root of what his motivations are. But it's impossible. You can't. He doesn't have one clear motive. And that's what kind of makes him scarier. Is that it's like, he could just pick you because you're you and you're there. He could just be doing it because he's sadistic. There yeah, that not, he just gets a sick know? pleasure out of it. And that's the great mystery behind it for me, anyways. I like the whole mystery of Michael Myers and even to this day there's still mystery behind the original movie as many times as they've tried to explain it but what do you what do you think you said this is your favorite oh yeah I give this movie a 10 out of 10 10 kitchen knives out of ki 10 kitchen knives 10 pumpkins out of 10 pumpkins yeah Jack exactly. Leonard, excuse me <laughs> but that will do it for this week's podcast Thank you so much for being here, and if you enjoyed this video and you are on YouTube, please give it a like. Uh, jump down in the comments with some interesting facts or a movie pick of your choice, and uh, consider subscribing to the channel because we do post new content seven days a week. If you're interested in an audio-only version of the podcast, then you can hit that up on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, and wherever else you may get your podcasts. We are out for today. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your support. My name's Derek. My name's Eleanor. See you next week.